We're continuing our series of Bible studies called Psalms for Supernatural Living. Tonight we're looking at Psalm 144 and we're going to be talking about supernatural prayers for supernatural leadership. I almost started with this particular study when we started this series uh, because I want you to know how important I, I, I believe it is. I, I'm praying for this, these things in my life and for you as much as I've ever prayed for anything. Uh, parents, uh, for, for leadership in your family, for supervisors and managers on the job, for leadership for, for those that you work under, excuse me, that work under you. For, for teachers, I'm praying for leadership in your classroom. Because listen, if there's ever been a generation where, where teachers needed supernatural leadership, it's in this time in which we live right now. I mean, this is a difficult time to be a teacher. Teachers are, 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 are uh, in some areas of the country, are, are the most discouraged and disheartened and downcast lot that you'd ever want to talk to. And I know that every teacher needs supernatural leadership from the Lord. I mean, if there's ever been a generation that needs teachers that know how to pray and know how to believe God for supernatural leadership, it's now. For, for, for our families, I, I just pray that this psalm will help us know how to pray about our, our own level of leadership. Let me read it for you. You may be following in another uh, translation, but I'm going to read to you from modern English version and you can just follow along. The psalmist says this, Blessed be the Lord, my strength, who prepares my hands for war and my fingers to fight, my goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield in whom I trust, who subdues nations under me. O Lord, who is man that you take notice of him or the son of man that you make account of him? Man is like a breath. His days are as a shadow that passes away. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. Cast forth lightning and scatter them. Shoot out your arrows and destroy them. Send your hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of the great waters from the hand of foreigners, whose mouth speaks, lie, speaks lies, and their right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song unto you, O God. On a harp and an instrument of ten strings I will sing praises unto you. It is he who gives victory to kings, who delivers David his servants from the, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners, whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. May our sons and their youth be like plants full grown and our daughters like cornerstones cut in the, excuse me, in the similitude of a palace that our granaries may be full, providing all manner of produce, that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields, and our cattle may be strong in labor. May there be no breaking in or going out and no wailing in our streets. Blessed are the people who have such thing. Indeed, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Let's pray together before we study the word. Heavenly Father, I'm not asking you to make me clever. I'm not asking you to give me the wisdom of men. Lord, though my tongue may stammer and my lips may be weak and trembling, Lord, I believe that you are the one. Only you, God, can speak to us deep in our innermost being, in the inner man, deep within each of us. Only you can do this, and I believe that you will. But, Lord, I'm asking that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would uh, help us to hear what you're saying to us in this place today. Open our hearts to listen. Open our ears to hear what you're saying to us today. 
In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You know, I believe that sometimes we miss the power of God in in given situations because we don't know how to pray down the power of God. Now, I don't mean that we don't pray earnestly or that we don't pray uh, with fervor or or with vitality or even with enthusiasm. I I don't know, maybe you're different than I am, but I, I need structure to my prayers. I need some things that, that I can sort of just catch hold to. I need some, some handles. I, I need some steps, I, some way to go through things step by step by step. And, and if I have that, I'm far, far more likely to be able to concentrate the whole way through. Now, maybe you're different than I am. Maybe you have the power of concentration where you can pray for five or six hours and, and you never uh, have your mind wander or anything like that. However, I have this need for, for something to tie into. I, have, I, I need some handle to which I can catch hold. And if I have that, I can pray so much better. And I think David helps us to understand that and be able to give us some of those handles in this psalm. You know, there was a young man that uh, got saved in an outdoor uh, crusade. It was uh, some meetings they were be- being held on a, on a ball field. He was a drug addict and he, he just got saved and delivered by the, by the power of God. And I mean, the Lord just did a miracle in his life. He, he stumbled out onto that ball field high on drugs and he got saved and delivered and filled with the Holy Spirit. And the, and the Lord just really moved in a mighty way in his life. Well, that boy had never been to church uh, in his life. He had no church background whatsoever. He had never been in church. He had never been to a prayer meeting. He had never been around church people, never been around Christians at all. He had just been raised in this uh, profane, uh, horrible situation all of his life. And as a result, he didn't know how to act right. I don't know about you, but I love people who don't know how to act religious, who don't know how to play the game. Well, he got saved, and, and then the, the next to the last night of this crusade, uh, a man went in before the prayer meeting, uh, the pre-service prayer meeting was going to start, and they went into the room where they were meeting, and the lights were out off, and it was dark in there, but he, he heard somebody in there, they were, just, they were just yelling at the top of their lungs, and he, he thought, oh, oh my goodness, something's happening here. There's some sort of horrible argument taking place, and so he flipped on that light switch, and there was that young man with his hands up in the air and he was just walking back and forth and just yelling, just yelling at the top of his lungs. And the man looked at him and he said, son, what, what are you doing? And that young man looked at him and he said, he said, well, I was just in here praying like heck. Only he didn't say heck. You know, sometimes people say things like that. It just sort of takes the, the wind away, away from you. And, and uh, of course, on the other hand, it occurs to me that if more Christians prayed as hard as hell works, then maybe we'd get more done. Nevertheless, I, 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 I need to know how to pray. And, and, and that's a great goal to say, I want to pray harder, but I need to have some handles to which to catch hold of this thing uh, for it to work. Well, David gives us some, some great insight for how to pray for leadership. You know, the first thing is that he, he sees prayer for leadership as the prayer against the powers of darkness. He, he does not see himself as a 
passive bystander, but as an active participant in some great conflict that's going on. Now, you'll notice right off the bat in verse 1, he said, Blessed be the Lord, my strength, who prepares my hands for war and my fingers to fight. Now, now certainly that means on the actual battlefield. David was a warrior king. However, I believe that in addition to that, and maybe even more than that, I think that it is speaking in terms of warring in prayer. I believe that it, it means that, that uh, to be able to not only catch hold of the, of the horns of the altar and to pray for uh, and believe God for our own blessings, but I also think that it means to see ourselves as active participants in something that is far more transcendent than where I am in this one moment, that is something that we're active participants in something that is going on that's much bigger than me and much bigger than I, my needs. You know, I, I really truly believe with my whole heart that where the kingdom of God thrives and is enriched and is strengthened and, is, and it grows powerful, that the kingdom prospers elsewhere as well. In other words, we're all connected. You know, if a pastor in Little Rock, Arkansas or Pensacola, Florida or wherever is, is praying and is believing God and, and is catching hold of God's garment in every morning and praying in every, every evening and saying, God, I will not let go until I, until I hear the answer from you. And he is, he is turning back the powers of darkness there and we're doing that here then my strength strengthens his strength and his strength strengthens my strength. I don't even have to know that it's going on. There is some way in which the Spirit of God gains momentum through the prayers of the saints. There there is a way in which the power of the Holy Spirit will teach me to pray in this way. David begins by saying, God, teach me. Teach my hands to war. Teach my fingers to fight. Uh, Therefore, when, when I begin to pray, I, I often pray like this. I often will say, God, I don't even know how to fight. I don't even know how to win. God, I don't even know how to pray as I ought to pray in this moment. And he says, humble yourself before God and, and say, Lord, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. You know, listen, I have been in ministry for over 30 years now. And, and there are so many times in my life, so many situations that I just don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do. And I say, Lord, if I knew how to pray as I ought to pray, I would. But what I'm asking for you, God, is to, for you to inform me, for you to, 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 to teach my hands to war, for you to, to teach my fingers to fight, for you to illumine my mind and for you to enlighten my heart and for you to anoint my lips. You do it, God. Let it come from you, oh God. David says, I I see God himself as the very source of my strength in battle. There's a a real humility in this. Then it leads on, if if you'll notice in verse three and four. Oh Lord, who is man that you take notice of him or the son of man that you make account of him? Man is like a breath. His days are as a shadow that passes away. You know, I like the humility in this, in in saying, God, why would you listen to anyone's prayers? God, why would you use us? Why would you give victory in any battle? Uh, God, why would you bless any church? God, why, why would you do any of this? Why would you anoint any ministry? Why would you bless any pastor? Why would you anoint any teaching? What is man? I mean, who are we that God should visit us? Humble yourself before God. 
teacher, listen, if you say, God, I have a master's degree in education and I have all the curriculum figured out and I know exactly how to do it. I've been teaching fifth grades for, for fifth grade for 30 years. I, I know what I'm doing. I know how to do it. And this year I'm going to just teach like I've always taught. I've always, I've got it all figured out. I understand fifth graders. Well, if that's your attitude, you may end up having the worst year in your teaching career. In the first place, nobody has fifth graders figured out. Uh, any book that says how to teach fifth grade, fifth grade uh, in five easy lessons, don't buy that book. It's not, it's, it's not any help at all. You know, Education 101, when you're going into fifth grade teaching, ought to be abandon all hope, ye who enter in. I'm kidding, of course. I'm not serious. But, but you know, every teacher, seriously, ought to say to, to, to God, Oh, God, I'm starting a new year, and I have kids' lives in my hands. I need your wisdom. I need your help. And I pray to God for teachers that say there is somebody who bore this child, who, who has fed this child, who nurtured this child, who cares about this child. God, this child's life is in my hands hour after hour after hour. God... Uh, I, I need your help. I don't know how to teach this child. You know what? I want my children's teachers to be humbling themselves before God and, and saying, God, I, I don't know how to handle this particular child. I don't know what this particular child's needs. So Lord, give me wisdom. I, I want my teachers to say, God, give me wisdom. Teach me how to do this. Use me, Lord God, and help me to see what I need to see. You know, I believe every employee would love to know that the CEO of that company is saying, oh God, I, I don't know what every employee needs. I don't know how to take care of these employees, but I, 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 I don't know what to do. But God, I know that you do know. You see the humility of that? What I know is this. I know that God can inform my mind with things that I don't know. I know that if I will confess my inability, uh, then, then I can lay hold of his ability. I, I know, listen, the truth is there is a, a hair's breadth between the place where, where I can say that, that in my own strength I can do nothing and the place where I can say that through him I can do all things. It's just a, a short distance between the two. Now the problem in contemporary Christians, especially in the charismatic movement, now, now listen to me before you tune me out, particularly in the con contemporary charismatic movement, modern Christians often forget the middle step. The only, we we want to lay hold of the part where we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's a great verse of scripture. But you know what? It's completely meaningless without knowing that in my own strength, I am completely hopeless and helpless and undone. To access the power of God. Listen, the, the, the access to the power of God is through the doorway of confessed humility. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of obsequious Uriah Heat false humility. You know what I'm talking about. You know, the person that says, oh, God could never use me. And they're only saying that because they're trying to fish for compliments and try to get people to say nice things about them. And there's no real humility there. I'm talking about, about real humility. It's a matter of gaining perspective and, and saying, God, you made the universe. You made everything that I see and everything that I can't see. You made it all. 
Seems to me that the most brilliant uh, atomic physicist in the world would, would be humbled when he considers the fact that he, he has learned how to split an atom, but he can't make one. The greatest pilot in the world who can say, I can fly the, the, the most magnificent flying machine known to man and I can fly that, that, that machine into the ionosphere and I can bring it back safely and land it in a desert somewhere. Well, that's great. That's wonderful. That's all well and good. But who made the ionosphere? See, it's, it's, it's a righteous humility of understanding who he is and our place in the universe. It's, it's saying... What is man? Why would you take any account of me at all? It's only because of your grace, because of your mercy, oh God. See, when we get that perspective, then we begin to see the perspective of eternity. Look at the next verse, verse 5. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down, touch, touch the mountains, and they shall smoke. In other, words, in other words, he says, in the light of my inability to lead... In light of my inability to lead, I need your supernatural touch, O God. Bow your heavens, O God. Speak. Just uh, uh, rattle the mountains with with your thunder. Send a crash of lightning. O Spirit of God, come down and and you will be heard. little five-year-old boy, just a bundle of energy like many five-year-old boys and needed a lot of attention and was a was a good boy, but he just liked to get into things. He was very active, and and he went to stay with his aunt and uncle one time for for a little while. And and the home where they were it was uh, the back of the house was had a had a wall plates, all, uh, glass plates all across all across the back. It was like a mountain cabin, and they had these giant windows to give them a view of the mountains and. And, and one day a, a storm came through that, that region and, and, uh, and as it came through, a, a lightning bolt struck the ground in the backyard while that little boy was in that back room looking out over the backyard. And I mean, it was just a really, it was amazing. Little balls of fire were, were, were all over the backyard, just engulfed this whole tree at one point in time. And that little boy was standing there watching this and his uncle thought that it would just scare him to death. So he, he put his arms out ready to, to welcome this little boy running to him in his fear but instead in a spontaneity that it was so endearing he just lifted his hands up to heaven and said cool God isn't that great isn't that awesome I like it verse verse six he said cast forth lightning man when when God starts pouring thunderbolts of of miraculous power on us we'll we'll be able to stretch our hands up and we'll be able to say cool god really cool then you'll notice when david confesses his humility and his need to be empowered in the war then he he calls on the supernatural power of god then notice what happens look at verse 7 Send your hand from above, rescue me and deliver me out of the great waters from the hand of foreigners whose, whose mouth speaks lies and their right hand is the right hand of falsehood. Now, I want you to, to notice something here, and this is a good thing to, to know and understand and to learn. It, on almost every occasion where, when the phrase right hand is used in a literary sense in the Old Testament, it's a symbolic phrase that, that is referring to the source of, of someone's power. 
There's another term that's used in the same way throughout the Old Testament. That term is mountain. And a mountain is a symbol of authority. It's a sign of power. It's an expression, uh, uh, excuse me, the extension of his kingdom. And, and so what David is saying here, uh, when he says his enemies speak lies and that, and that, uh, that, that, that their right hand is the right hand of falsehood. He's saying, God, when, when your supernatural power gets loose in a situation, then you set me free from the demonic powers whose strength is in deceit and in falsehood. You know, anytime you try to lead something, if you think just because you do a good job, then everybody is going to just, without exception, rise up and call you blessed, you're wrong and you're not ready to lead anything. Uh, I, I've learned this phrase, you've probably heard this, heavy hangs the head that wears the crown. I know that's true many, many times. But you know, here's the thing, honest and loving criticism that is given for the purpose of edifying the body of Christ, that's God's instrument to, to shake us and to change us and to wake us up to things. But deceit and scandal and lying, now that's satanic. You know, currently in the United States, largely due to massive scandals in the contemporary church, we have created a lethal atmosphere in which to minister. We've we've now conditioned the American public to believe the worst uh, about the clergy. You know, a a survey was conducted uh, a number of years ago that is just stunning for us today, but the survey asked people to, to rate the level of confidence in, in various American professions. Where do you rate these people in terms of the confidence that you put in them? Well, only two actually ranked lower than preachers, and that was car salesmen and lawyers. David said, there are those forces which oppose me that find their strength in deceit. Now, now every parent, listen to me. There is a supernatural deluge of evil that it, that finds its strength in deceit and it is lying consistently persistently hour after hour after hour to your children that is forcing into their minds that from every billboard from from every song from every from the highest places of American society and it is lying to them and it's the same lie that Satan pushed to Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and that he's pushing to our children, and to your family, saying, did, did your mother really say? Did, did your father really mean this? Or is that, is that what your mom and dad said? Is that what your pastor said? Did you, did you learn that in church? It's the same voice. Satan's vocabulary is lethal, but it's limited. He knows only the same set of lies. Those voices that line themselves up with the satanic lies of Satan are themselves satanic. Therefore, we must pray that God will shield us in leadership wherever we find ourselves, whatever level of leadership you find yourself in, that God would shield you and shield us with a wall of fire that will keep satanic deception out and that will keep satanic deception from corroding us. We must pray for a hedge of thorns that will keep those that we care about inside. 
You know, the, the current derision and mockery of the American pulpit must be reversed. It, it must be reversed. However, it's only going to be reversed by the consistent public picture of ministries that are baptized in, a, in integrity. It's the only thing that's going to turn it back. The only thing that's going to cause this is, is for people and, and preacher together in a covenant and a prayer for, to, for a prayer of protection from satanic deception. I heard about a pastor in Texas who went to the hardware store one day to pick something up and his 16-year-old daughter rode along with him and she was sitting in the front seat of the car. He parked the car and he went inside, went to get what he needed to do and, and went up to the cash register to check out. And the man at the register said, uh, I think I know you, who are you? And, and he said, I'm the pastor of the, of the Assemblies of God Church here in town. And uh, that man standing there looked at him and he looked out the front window, the glass uh, plate window of the, of the store and he saw his daughter sitting in the car with him and, and he said, who's that? Is that your mistress? Is that your mistress? I mean, do you see the situation? He just assumed that this beautiful young girl in the car was, his, was this pastor's mistress. He assumed it. Only, you know, only a few years ago, it would have been the most shocking thought in the world to even think that that might have been a pastor's mistress. But now he begins by assuming that, that she was. Why? Well, I believe it's very simple. It is because that force of supernatural evil whose right hand is in deceit and lying that's the source of their power that 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 that's that uh, supernatural evil was whispering in his ear even at that moment i believe that therefore let's pray that not only will we be surrounded but let's pray that the voices of lying and deceit will be put to silence by an era of ministry that is substantial and is filled with integrity and anointed by the Spirit of God and is, it stands with, with truth and integrity in their lives. You notice that the wonderful prayer for, for protection is repeated. You see it there in verse 7 and then again in verse 11. Send your hand from above. Rescue me and deliver me out of the great waters from the hand of foreigners whose mouth speaks lies and their right hand is the right hand of falsehood. You know, when we humbly cast ourselves at Jesus' feet and we claim his supernatural power and we stand in the wisdom and the anointing and the protection that he gives, he will arise for us. I've shared a story before during our series of teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, but it's one of the most amazing and thrilling accounts of God's protection and God's direct intervention in a situation that I've ever heard in my life. It was a family that had gone to their pastor for counseling at Mount Perrin Church of God in, in Atlanta. A young girl, the, the daughter of the family, had, had gotten involved with a young man and the, the parents didn't feel good about the situation. Uh, she, he had actually ended up stealing money from her and and uh, they went and talked with the pastor about the situation and he could see the situation and had discernment in the situation and said, you, you need to get out of this, out of this relationship. This, was a, this is a bad deal. The man, is, he was uh, extremely manipulative and he had a, a criminal record and, and, he, and, and he said, young lady, she, she thought that he had gotten saved and he had turned his life around, but, but he could sense and, and the family began to sense that there was deception involved here. And so... So she listened to him and she broke off the relationship and, 
And two or three nights later, that young man kicked the, the front door open and, and raced into the middle of the living room. The mother was in the kitchen cooking dinner and the father was in the living room watching television. The, the daughter was in the living room sitting with her father and the, the, the son was upstairs uh, sleeping. The young man raced in with a 38 caliber pistol, a, a revolver, and he, he kicked the door open. And you listen, people who are filled with demons have, have unbelievable strength. And when he kicked that door, he literally kicked it off the hinges. And he raced into the middle of the living room and he began screaming and shouting and just waving that gun around. And the mother in the kitchen immediately knew what was going on. And she, she knew without even running and she said, that's that boy, that's that boy. Well, there was an archway between the kitchen and the living room, a doorway there, and she ran into that doorway and, and she just stood there with her hands aloft and she began pray, praying and began pleading the blood of Jesus and, and claiming God's supernatural protection over every member of her family. Well, that, that demoniac with that pistol turned and he, and he, and he fired at her twice, two, two shots at her and the bullets passed on both sides of her head and embedded in the wall behind her. And the husband at that moment raced toward the boy to see if he could grab him and, and take him down. But as he ran toward the boy, the, the, he turned and he fired the gun just inches from his face, point blank in front of his face. And the, the bullet six inches between the end of the, of the, of the barrel and, the, and the, the point of that man's nose, that bullet came out and, and the man said that it, it just exploded and disintegrated uh, in front of him. He said he could see bits and pieces flying past his head. And, and the, the pastor of that church later talked with the uh, Cobb County police officer who investigated the scene. And, and that police officer said that they found uh, minute, uh, just larger than microscopic particles of bullets in the man's hair and in his clothing and, and on the wall behind him. And at that point in time, the young man, uh, when the bullet didn't take him out, he pistol whipped the father and, and, and he was uh, knocked to the floor. And then he grabbed the girl and threw her on the floor and, and put his knee down on, on the, her back where she was face down on the floor and put the gun to the back of her skull and, she, and pulled the trigger. And that bullet came out of that gun and, and with, a, uh, with a gun pressed against her skull and traced around her skull and exited by her temple and embedded in the floor. And all she had from that was a superficial head wound that required about 18 or 20 stitches. The young man believing the blood is beginning because of that superficial wound, the blood is flowing, the young man believing that he had killed this girl then, then ran away and, and, and raced out, out of the house into a nearby reservoir into that area and killed himself. Terrible, terrible, horrible tragedy. But listen, when a family humbled themselves before God and said, God, we don't know how to handle this situation. God, we don't know what to do, but, but we believe that, God, that, that you, will, you will bow the heavens down and that you will send a, a lightning bolt of divine intervention and that you, you'll make the, 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 the hills to shake with thunder. And I believe that your glory will be heard. Now look at the blessing that comes. Verse 12 begins to close it out. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown and our daughters like cornerstones cut in the similitude of a palace. What a, what a beautiful picture of youth growing up, polished, 
to perfection, becoming substantial young people that can live with character and in integrity and decency. You know, the devil is out to destroy our children. And I pray that I'll be able to look at you in the face 10 or 20 years down the road and I'll be able to say to you because of your prayers, my daughters are, are like polished precious stones. They're women of God because you stood with me in prayer. I pray that I'll be able to, to look at you face to face 10 or 20 years down the road and you'll be able to look to, at me and say, my son has grown up strong and the roots are deep and he's like a tree planted by the, by the waters and, and because we agreed together and God has preserved him. Teachers, you know, teachers who have left their houses to go and teach in public school or in private schools and, you know, to teach and to minister to the children of other, other people. Those teachers are weakened in their ability to speak with authority to other children if they know that they're having trouble with their own children. Isn't that true? I mean, pastors are weakened, teachers are weakened, leaders are weakened. But you know that, that supervisor, when that young man comes and sits down and says, oh boss, I'm just having a terrible time with my kids. I just can't seem to concentrate on, on work. Oh, the, the wonderful blessing of being able to, to look at them in the eye and say, let me share with you some things that I have learned, some things that God has shown me, some ways that God has helped me over the years. But conversely, it weakens your ability to communicate if you have to say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I haven't done any better job than anybody else in this situation. Then look at verse 13, and this blesses me. We're just about ready to finish. He says, that our granaries may be full, providing all manner of produce. In other words, if we'll lead and follow and live according to Psalm 144, God's blessings will be ours, that our granaries will be full, that our barns will be full and, and they're thinking, living in an agricultural society. We, we don't, but we can understand the symbolism here. And then look at the last part of this verse. This is, this is where some of you might, might tune out. It says that our sheep may bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. Now, I love that verse. Now, listen, listen to me, my friends. Uh, I want you to understand, pastors do not bear sheep. Shepherds do not bear sheep. Sheep bear sheep. Uh, and if we're going to have a church full of sheep, then it's going to be because the other sheep have 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 borne sheep. And, and I, I'm not here to to bear sheep as a pastor. I'm here to the, God has placed me in this in this situation to to teach and to disciple and to work with you and to pray for you and to, and to do all that I know how to lead. And, and, but when that when that when the shepherd takes the staff and leads those sheep, they are the ones that bear other sheep. Yes, I'm a, she- a sheep of the Lord, and for the, in that sense, I'm to reach other people. But listen, it's, gonna, it's not about the pastor doing it. It's about the people of God reaching other people. And I'm counting on the fact that, that if I'll lead, then the, then the sheep will produce sheep. You know, I believe in, uh, I've heard it called this, and I, I like the term, I, I believe in, in hook or crook uh, evangelism. And you say, what are you talking about? Well, let me put it like this. Guys, if you, if you know something about one of your friends, you've got some dirt on him, go to him and say something like, you know, I'd hate for your wife to find out about that gun you bought that she doesn't know anything about. And when they're looking at you, say, you know, she doesn't have to know. You could come to church with me. 
Now I'm just I'm teasing, obviously. I'm just I'm just. But listen, Jesus said, uh, "Go out on the highways and byways and compel them to come in." Isn't that what he said? Compel them. That means to blackmail in my book. Now I'm joking. I, I really I'm joking. But seriously, when we are able to gather together again as a as a church in person then bring people to church and, and do whatever you have to do. Bring them to church and then take them out to eat afterwards and do anything you have to do, but bring them in. Let the sheep bear sheep. You know, soul-winning, prayerful churches are the churches that God blesses. Now let's look at that last verse, then we'll close. Here it is. May there be no breaking in or going out and no walling in, or excuse me, no wailing in our streets. Blessed are the people who have such things. Indeed, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Blessed, happy are the people that lead and are led according to Psalm 144. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Can I give you my my paraphrase of that last part of that verse? Blessed or happy are the people that wh- whose God is not just God in words, but, but he is Lord of their lives. That's the real key to supernatural leadership. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus, Jesus Christ. If we've ever needed men and women of God to step up and to live with supernatural leadership, it's now. It is now. It is in this moment. But here's the thing. There are no, sh- no shortcuts for that. It, it, it comes from humbling ourselves before God, admitting that we are weak and that he is strong, and then submitting ourselves fully to his lordship. That's the key. And I pray, Lord Jesus, raise up supernatural leaders for such a time as this. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for what you're able to do. And I thank you for the leadership that you raise up, not just leadership in church, not just leadership in terms that we often think of, but, but, but supernatural leadership in homes, supernatural leadership in, in, in various relationships, supernatural relationships, excuse me, uh, supernatural leadership in, in schools. Lord, I pray that you would raise up men and women of God who will turn to you and humble themselves before you and, and completely submit themselves to your lordship so that you will raise them up as leaders in these last days. Lord, raise up supernatural leaders so that your glory will be seen. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.